0: Hebrews 10, 19-39. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay and but my righteous one will live by faith and i take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved
1: thank you so much erica uh, I'm sure that Steve and I didn't uh, choose our wives for their reading abilities, but uh, it's 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 been a been a blessing to have them uh, for that. Uh, it's interesting when you when you prepare a sermon, um, and then you come on the morning, and there's all the the stuff that goes before it, and and you go, "Wow, is God saying something here?" Because I found that uh, the stuff about Alpha and asking questions and growing in faith has knitted right into a lot of what I want to say today. So I think God has has got something to to talk to us about today. Uh, You may have noticed too that um, we've actually covered uh, five verses there that Steve preached on last week. Well, he just didn't do a good enough job. No, no, no. I t- Sorry, Steve. I had to fit some joke in there somewhere. It's it's part of the artistry of the the writer of Hebrews that uh, nineteen to twenty-five finished off the section that Steve preached about last week. But it's also necessary to understand what we're we're looking at this week. It's it's they're, they're bridging verses, and. Um, And uh, so as we come into this thing, I want to ask you guys a few questions. They're serious questions. I I don't want you to to, uh, call out answers or anything, but they're just questions that I want you to to think about. And the first one is, has there been a time that you considered walking away from any further involvement in church? Has there been a time when you've, you've thought, no, this is too hard, I want to turn my back on church? More seriously, has there been a time when you've considered walking away from faith? Now, the former question, I have. I, I have felt that the injuries that, that uh, I felt were inflicted on me by a personal person's in a church was enough that I just wanted to walk away. And I can understand that if you do that and you go to the next church and you have a similar experience, then... It is understandable to to get to a point where you just want to have nothing to do uh, with church life, if this resonates with you, well, I, I want to commend you firstly for, for hanging in there, hanging in there with your faith. Uh, I think you 've probably made a good choice turning up to this church. Uh, give you a plug there uh, i 'm finding this is a, a very affirming place. Uh, but, uh, but maybe, maybe others are having a different experience. Uh, but if you felt that, or if you know someone who has gone through this kind of experience, then, then this sermon I'm hoping is for you. Because I'm sure that even if we haven't experienced this sort of questioning ourselves, we, we certainly know people who have. And so maybe we'll be in a better position to help them. Um, Cassie titled this, this message, This is Who We Are. And, and I think she's nailed it with the title. In my Bible, uh, it's a call to persevere in faith. Um, I would probably turn what Cassie has said, This is Who We Are, into a question of what defines our Christian identity. Uh, I think we were talking somewhere during that part this morning of, having to redefine what happiness means. And so, in a sense, we need to redefine or or reaffirm uh, our Christian identity from time to time. But before we go in and see what the the writer of Hebrews has to say, I I just want to recap uh, the Hebrew situation because context is king when it comes to understanding the Bible. And I know we've done this a few times already, but I just want to do it again. And I've got a couple of of verses there. Uh, Remember those early days, after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict, full of suffering. The Hebrews had been through persecution. And persecution had brought solidarity to the group. It, it, it brought them together. It's been interesting, again, because this morning we've, we've been talking about uh, uh, victims of the flood and uh, the pods and the, and the villages, and, and something similar happened with the, the flood. It pulled the community together. Generosity abounded at that time, and, and in the community, there was this sense of solidarity. We will get through this together. And the Hebrews, in accepting Christ, had gone through a, that period of trial that, that left their previous way of life in the Jewish community. And it cost them. Persecution, though, made them stronger. It made them more determined. But now it seems that we're at a stage in the the life of this church that persecution has passed. And the new norm, the new reality for them, isn't as satisfying as they had hoped. Um, They don't have any immediate threats, but their hopes of what faith in Christ was going to look like haven't really been realised. It still seems that Christ's return is, is a long way off. They've done all this suffering, but they're not having any rewards. Life is still difficult, if not mundane, for them. And it seems that doubt has crept in to the thoughts of a few people and that they have left the church. But the rest who the writer is addressing, are holding fast. But they do have questions. And even though what we're reading is a monologue, the writer is answering the questions that are on the the Hebrews' hearts. In verse 19, it it reads, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... The writer begins with his expectation that his readers have confidence in Christ. They have confidence that Christ's work as as a priest and a sacrifice has cleansed them and that they can come into the, the presence of God. It's then interesting that when we get to verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded, that he is now urging the readers who have this confidence, to hold on to that confidence, to not throw it away, to not let it go. And this is the, the writer's agenda in the the, uh, the, the passages in, in between. He wants them to continue trusting in Christ. Uh, and when we have that context, we, we understand that when we read this passage that it's meant to be an encouraging section for the Hebrews believers. The aim of this is to encourage, even though when you read some of it, you go, oh, this is talking about judgment. I don't feel comfortable there. And picking up on what was said earlier, this idea of asking questions, uh, it builds faith. I remember hearing this uh, uh, or, or reading somewhere, that uh, Hebrew children, when they come home, the parents are, are quite likely to say something like, Yuri, did you ask any good questions today? And it was comparing that sort of attitude with Western families, where they come home from school and it's, Jenny, did you give any good answers today? I don't know if you can see the difference between the two. But uh, giving good answers is, ah, my kid's bright, my kid's, (laughs) they're wonderful. Asking good questions is, are you taking advantage of this teacher? Are you drawing in knowledge? Are you thinking things through? And uh, that Hebrew way of doing it is the best way to gain knowledge and also to express honour and respect to their teachers, now I know we have a few teachers here. I could ask, do they feel they're getting honour and respect in school? And uh, and I'm, I'm I don't probably shouldn't look because I might get a few shakes of the head the wrong way. But uh, uh, but that's it's something just to think about. And while it, while as I said, the the book of Hebrews is a monologue. It goes without being said that the writer is responding to to the questions that are in the minds of the readers. And elsewhere in, in Scripture, we see that. Questions and reasoning is a part of being a disciple and also part of the Hebrew way of life. We read there that uh, the, <laughs> the disciples are always asking Jesus. Uh, when, when I was thinking about this, Jesus never responds in the negative when they're asking questions. He does respond in the negative when the disciples start telling him. And it came to mind that bit, bit where uh, Peter says, no, Lord, never. And what was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. Uh, questions, no worries. He, he encouraged those. And we find that uh, when we read about Paul, we read that it was his custom to go into synagogues and reason with them from the scriptures. Reason is a, is a back and forward dialogue. Okay, it's, it's not this is the rules. It is, let's look at this together, let's ask questions, let's listen, let's understand. And so that's what uh, uh, the process is, questioning, listening, reasoning. And it's that biblical model and the way to build up a deep, rock-solid and enduring faith. When I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought, well, what's the, what's the opposite to have a questioning faith? And, and I think it's a blind faith. In a blind faith is to unquestioningly believe what you're, you're being told by your seniors. And then you go out, you have all the answers uh, and you, you don't really listen to anyone else. You don't engage in that reasoning but unfortunately also you don't have any credibility in the marketplace. People tend to, to write off people that won't engage in conversation. So to become mature is to ask questions. Three reasons that Hebrews should uh, keep their confidence in Christ seems to be the, the, the centre of our passage. And the first is, you know God is faithful. In verse 23 it reads, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we pro- profess, for he who promises is faithful. I was reading about frank uh, sorry Victor Frankel Victor Frankel survived uh, a Nazi concentration camp, and he said, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how and this was the Hebrew experiences in, as stated in in thirty two and thirty four they 're looking back and they 're saying you you know you can endure because in 34 there, you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They had all their property taken away, but they still had Christ. The challenge then that, that we're looking at is that when persecution is over, can we endure the mundane, the boring, when it sets in? And it's, it's a common problem in second generation movements. Uh, they start off so well, and then as time passes, they start to they start to falter. And in many ways, that is a greater challenge than the persecution. Uh, we, we often hear, in the, and you can read about, that uh, in the West, where we're not persecuted, numbers are going down. In countries where there is persecution, people are turning to Christ. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? In reminding the Hebrews that God is faithful and that he enabled them to endure earlier persecutions, the writer writer is silently putting out the challenge. You endured persecution, are you now going to crack because you have to wait for your hopes to be realised? And he's hoping that they're answering, of course not, of course not. The second you know is you know it is good to meet together. Uh, Verses 24 to 25 have been used as a proof text to say, go to church. And more recently, to call Christians to oppose the government's COVID restrictions. Now, both of those views, they've got their own agendas that are actually unrelated to helping each other maintain our confidence in Christ. Now, now before I get in trouble, I want to encourage you to go to church. (laughs) uh, I'm convinced that God's purpose is to grow disciples and mature believers in Christian community. I find this passage is saying, come together, spur each other on, encourage each other. Community is a good thing. And the church I read of here is one that is quick to encourage and slow to judge. And that they do, they are. They're spurring each other on to love and serve. And in fact, that's what the writer is doing when he when he writes this bit. If ever you left here, you'd want to go to that kind of church. Um, but sometimes we find ourselves in churches that are, that are quick to judge and, and slow to encourage. Try not to stay there too long. The third you know is you know Christ is our only solution. And this is our, our central passage. Uh, verses 26 to, to 27, I think were once popular for preaching messages of judgment to the heathens. Uh, however, in context, it is a message to believers, not unbelievers. Nor is it a, a passage designed to, to generate fear in backslidden Christians, or, or even a, a warning to Christians who are walking along the edge of a slippery slope. It's been used that way, but that's probably not what the, the writer is intending. In fact, Hebrew Religion 101, if you went to that class, you'd be told that distrust and disobedience to God equals God's judgment and death. Uh, it, so what we're reading here isn't something new. The Hebrews knew this. It was familiar to them. It's it's probably something that uh, we find less comfortable today. What do you think sin is when you read verse 26? Uh, It it sometimes gets confusing because we we make sin certain certain actions. Uh, I think uh, that if I replace verse 26 there uh, with if we deliberately... Keep on distrusting Christ after we have received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sin is left. So I'm looking at it as as sin is is equivalent to distrust, and I think that concept of moving from trust to distrust is what has happened with those that have left the community. Um, if we dis if and 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 it's, it's only logical, isn't it? If we distrust Christ, then there's no solution left for us. If Christ is the solution that died uh, to bring us to to God, we can't get there on ourselves, we've trusted Christ for that, and then we get to a point where we say, no, we we, we distrust Christ, then there there is no plan B. Christ is the only solution. No Christ, no solution, only judgment. In the writer's mind, the withdrawal of trust in Christ Jesus and God's plan is the greatest insult ever. And the writer plays it up in his how much more. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but you, you'll read this quite often. In fact, we've been reading this all the way through Hebrews, you know. Moses is great. How much more is Jesus greater? And so he uses that same style of argument here. Uh, Anyone who rejects the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now get there, that that word rejected have no longer trusted Moses and the law. They've rejected it. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to punish who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. I find that uh, this this words are they're, they're um, what's what am I looking at? They're drawing on this idea of of that action of withdrawing your trust in Christ is sacrilege. It's desecration. Uh, it's it it's in the hebrew mind it's it 's the worst thing that you could do um, with the sinner distrust shockingly described in terms of desecration and sacrilege with the author uh, the author reminds the readers that the living God will hold them to account it is a it's a powerful phrase uh, that there that it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living god but but it 's true isn't it it's <laughs> What do you expect, really? the writer anticipates that the readers would be nodding in agreement at this point. they wouldn 't be quaking in their boots they 're shaking their heads. yeah, this, this is right. So what questions does this raise for us? And I thought of a couple for us for us in modern times. One is, God will pardon me isn 't that his job? Now, I think it seems that uh, that um, we've maybe bent over backwards to portray God as a as a loving and merciful father full of grace uh, that we have become unused to thinking of judgment at all uh, maybe it's our generation's sense of entitlement uh, that that uh, is coming through there, uh, or maybe it's because we have valued getting conversions above making disciples. Have you ever thought about that? I, I think through uh, my upbringing, you know, you want to get people saved. We tell them, just accept Jesus as Lord, all your sins are, are forgiven. But then we don't go that next step and then make them disciples. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. And we forget that grace is delayed judgment rather than no judgment at all. I, I really find it quite amazing when I read the the um uh the Garden of Eden story that it's it's quite clear. I've got this plan for you, trust me. If you choose not to trust me and eat this fruit, you will die. And then I read later on that uh how old does Adam get? Nine hundred years or something? Um that <laughs> The, the the cause and the effect have been delayed for a, an extended period, and if I so if I read my my scriptures, humanity should have been brought to an end a long time ago. It is only that grace that uh, that we continue. Tom Wright notes that it is absolutely basic to Christianity and Judaism that there will come a time when the living God, the Creator will bring his just and wise rule to bear fully and finally on the world. On that day, as you, as early traditions insist, those who willfully stand out against his rule and spurn all attempts at reformation or renewal will face a punishment of destruction. The writer of Hebrews has made it clear that believers are to be active in the church community in encouraging one another in, and in finding ways to spur each other on towards greater love and good deeds. However, they've been, uh, there have been some who have given up meeting together. They have withdrawn from the community and the writer notes that God takes no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. When you've withdrawn from the community, how can you spur others on? How can you encourage people? You're not there. You're absent. They're not doing God's will. And they are what we would term as dead weight. Tom Wright uh, also puts it this way. Those who hesitate or shrink back are in danger of losing everything. Those who hold on in faith will gain their lives as Jesus Himself has promised it promised. But when, Lord, when we may ask. We along with the Hebrews may ask, When are you returning, Lord? You've been gone a long time now. Uh, and we've already claimed it's it's healthy to ask these sort of questions. And uh the writer of Hebrews in this last section, quotes a fair bit of uh, Habakkuk. And if you read Habakkuk, it's only three chapters long, but uh, chapter one is Habakkuk asking questions of God. Habakkuk is a champion of asking questions. And uh, he gets answers, though. From asking the questions, he gets the answers. And in Habakkuk 2, verse 3, we read, For revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So we find that scripture tells us that while from our perspective God seems to be lingering, the fact is is he's not delaying and there is an appointed time. Now, When you think about it, I am so grateful that God lingered long enough for me, for us, to know Him. I am grateful of that. But uh, but we people had this funny thing. Once we're in, we want to we want we want everything to stop there and uh, and to move on to the next stage. It always humoured me. I I, I worked down at Bangalore Hardware. And uh, uh, Bangalore is this, this little village that had a, a certain amount of character uh, and they'd have new developments there, new residential developments. And in the hardware shop, we'd see these, these people that have just moved into that new development. They'd be coming in, we'd meet them, they'd be buying stuff, we'd get to know them. And then they'd go and open up another new development. And these people that were in the former new development would be complaining Oh, they're ruining the feel of the town. It's taking away its character. It just seems to be our nature, doesn't it? And, but God has delayed. He's lingered that we can come in and he is still lingering, I believe, because he's waiting for, for more people to come in. He's, he's, he wants to give that opportunity. Our promised eternity with our Lord is secure, as verse 36 tells us. In the meantime, we can, can complete the task God has given us. So I don't know if you read there, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So not only is God lingering, but he also has worked for us while he is lingering. I was reminded that worship and fellowship will continue in God's kingdom. Okay, we, we read about that, no doubts there. But there's one thing that doesn't continue in God's kingdom, in, in eternity. Do you know what that is? Steve does, we only heard this last week, or reminded of it last week. It's mission. It's mission. Mission is time-limited time limited Mission only occurs this side of judgment. It's only now that we can tell people the good news of of Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. So allow me to join the writer of Hebrews and, and spur you on in persevering in your faith and spreading the good news of Christ in however God has gifted you. As, we, uh, as, as I draw this to a close uh, I'm mindful that my friends out there doing kids church may not have had enough time. You see I set them up this morning that they're, they're doing cooking. So there's going to be a big mess out there. I'm in here. What a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting distracted. But <laughs> wrapping this up, we're, we're back to that question. Um, uh, That we are a people, we are a people of God and, and, and we are defined by the following We're a people that ask questions to build faith. We're a people who know God is faithful. We're a people that benefit from healthy church community. And we're a people that know Christ is our only solution. And we're a people that are committed to mission. And we're a people that place our confidence in Christ alone. Verse 39 reads But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We, 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 we just worship and praise you and thank you, Lord, that you loved rotten old us. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the grace you have shown us. We thank you that you have, have washed us clean. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, we are in your presence now and we look forward to eternity. We look forward to that time when we will be fully in your presence, in the new heaven and the new earth, Lord. Lord, we, we understand that your lingering has a purpose, Father. And we thank you, Lord, and praise you that you allow us to be part of that purpose, Father. Lord, just help us to, to stand firm, to hold on to our faith, to not be distracted because we don't seem to be getting anywhere. Help us to encourage and spur each other on, Lord. And help us, Lord, to to tell the good news of Jesus. We thank you for that privilege, Lord, and we and and uh, we just trust your plan. Bless us this week as we go out into the world for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.